But we are in a slow uh, and beautiful walk with Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. This morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 12. I encourage you to open up uh, your copy of God's Word to that. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, big number 7, little number 11. I'm going to read that passage for us and then turn to the Lord in prayer. All right, Luke 7, 11 through 17. So Jesus has just healed a servant with a word, and now he's on the move again. Afterward, he was on his way to a town called Nain. His disciples and a large crowd were traveling with him. Just as he neared the gate of the town, a dead man was being carried out. He was his mother's only son, and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was also with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin, and the pallbearer stopped, and he said, Young man, I tell you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. This is the word of the Lord. Father, in our weakness, would you show off your strength? And I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit now to show us Jesus. Give us a fresh view of him. Teach us how to walk with him. And send us out from this place on his mission of mercy, we pray. Amen. We can all say, we probably all have said something along the lines of, I feel your pain. Say that to a friend when we feel no pain at all. Uh, we usually say, I feel your pain for things that are more like mundane annoyances. For, so, for example, like talking with a buddy, oh man, you got to go to Logan and like endure Boston traffic. I feel your pain, brother. Uh, but there are other times when we genuinely feel others' pain. Uh, and this is what compassion means. The word, literally, compassion means feeling with or to suffer with. The New Testament word, which is kind of hard and fun to say, splunknizomai, means to be uh, feel something in your intestines, in your guts. We, we can all feel other people's pains in different situations. Kind of the, a lighter version of this is if you're watching American Idol bloopers on YouTube, which is a favorite pastime of mine, and the person's so horrible at singing, like you feel shame for them, you feel it in your gut. Uh, Maybe as you're on the playground this summer, young parents, you see your toddler running to the playground. They're so excited. It's hot blacktop. They trip, skim their knee. And you as a mother or a father, like you wince and you feel it in your leg. You feel it in the pit of your stomach. More seriously, as you hear about school shooting this week, I know for myself, I felt sick to my stomach as I was working at a school with little kids around me. Well, Jesus, he's fully God, and he's also fully, totally human. And Jesus did experience and does experience all of the human emotions that we do uh, without sin. And the gospel writers, it's interesting, as they look, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they look at the life of Jesus, they, they, they don't just talk about his actions as the Messiah, they talk about his emotions. 
And the predominant emotion that they call attention to over and over and over again is compassion. There's this one theologian uh, from Princeton back in the day, B.B. Warfield, and he had a little essay. He just went through all the Gospels and just kind of circled and underlined every single emotion he could see. And this is, this is what he wrote. The emotion which we should naturally expect to find most frequently attributed to that Jesus, whose whole life was a mission of mercy, is no doubt compassion. In point of fact, this is the emotion which is most frequently attributed to him. So Jesus had compassion on all kinds of people. People who were physically hungry, he had compassion on them, wanted to feed them. People who were spiritually lost and their life was just a wreck, he had compassion on them. He had compassion on the sick, the demon-possessed. And in our passage, there's a particular kind of compassion he has. Jesus has compassion on those who grieve. People who have lost a sense of hope, people who have lost health. And particularly, Jesus has compassion on those who are grieving the loss of a loved one, a family member, a friend. We'll all experience grief in life. Most of you, I'd assume, have, have had someone really dear to you die. Those of you who haven't yet, it will come. So let's look at Jesus' compassion for those who grieve. And we see in this passage, Jesus overflows with powerful compassion towards those who grieve. Let's look at verses 11 through 12. There's a grieving widow. So Jesus is journeying from Capernaum, a bigger town, to Nain, a smaller town. And this is pretty wild. He walks about 20 miles in one day. That's some like NH pride there, like Jesus the hiker, my guy. He hikes 20 miles to a different town um, by foot. Nain was a, a small town in modern day Nain. I think there's about 200 people who live there. Uh, tiny town. This was close to where Jesus grew up in Nazareth. Um, and many, many centuries ago, right by Nain, over the hill, literally over the hill, God visited that area through Elisha the prophet. He was a powerful man of God. And he raised this little boy, this widow's son, up from the grave. But that was hundreds of years ago. God kind of went quiet on them. And so this is kind of a podunk town, 200 people off the beaten path, not like Capernaum, kind of a buzzing fishing town with commerce, quiet town where God has gone quiet. They read about God's visitation in the past, but it wasn't their experience. Maybe you feel like that as you read the story of Jesus. So Jesus is walking with a group of disciples and a big crowd. And they're all excited because he just healed a sick person on the bed with just a word. He didn't even touch the person, didn't step in the house. But there is this um, centurion who had a servant who was sick and Jesus healed him with a word. So he has this crowd growing with him and they're walking and there's a collision of crowds. Jesus's excited, rowdy crowd. Maybe the disciples are like pushing each other like, let's go. We're on mission together. And then they step up to this crowd that is mourning and weeping. There's a funeral procession. Now, Jews in this time, I don't know how they do it today, but Jews in this time, uh, they had loud funeral processions. Unlike ours, which are more quiet, more reverent. We might sing a few hymns, uh, but overall, we're pretty quiet. Um, for the Jews, here, here's kind of a description of what their funerals look like. This is from Jeremiah 6:26. God says, my dear people, 
dress yourselves in sackcloth and roll in dust. Mourn as you would for an only son, a bitter lament. So people during this time sometimes would hire professional mourners who apparently knew how to mourn well professionally. So people are sobbing and weeping and wailing. And in the midst of these two crowds, Jesus' excited crowd and this mourning crowd, Jesus doesn't get caught up in the chaos. He looks at this one woman who's walking kind of silently by this, this young man who has died. I want us to step back and think and just compare this widow of Nain with the centurion from Capernaum. The centurion worked for Rome. He was a powerful man. He had servants under him. He had enough finances to fund the building of a synagogue. He was all set. This woman, she was desolate. Her only son died. And as we'll find out in a moment, she was a widow. She had no financial resources. She had no social resources. So here she is in this crowd. No husband walking beside her. She's already buried her husband, maybe years ago when the boy was young. And on top of this deep sorrow, there's the crushing weight of financial instability. So during this day, there's no social security. Social security, social, that's a tough one for me. Social security was your adult kids. They would hold it down for you. They would take care of you as you aged. And her only son, almost in the prime of life, is dead in the casket next to her. I wonder if you could relate to this woman. If you feel crippled by grief at times, maybe the grief is fresh for you, the death of a loved one, and it's just wave after wave of remembering their loss. Maybe it was older grief, and every once in a while it just catches you. Maybe you feel like you don't have any future. There's no hope. There's no financial security. There's no community for you. What does Jesus do if you're there? Jesus moves towards this woman with powerful compassion. Let's look at his powerful compassion in the next few verses. When the Lord saw her, verse 13, he had compassion on her and said, don't weep. Then he came up and touched the open coffin and the pallbearer stopped. And he said, young man, I tell you, get up. I want us to compare the centurion and this widow of Nain one more time. The centurion, this army official, uh, he was seeking Jesus. He had a huge problem, and he was seeking Jesus. He was sending delegates ahead of him. He did it twice, and he's, he's saying, Jesus, please help me. This woman is not seeking Jesus at all. She's frozen. She's stuck in grief. There's a key verse in Luke that kind of summarizes the book. It's Luke 19.10, and it says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is good news for people like the widow of Nain, who are helpless. Jesus helps the helpless. For those who feel so depressed, they can't even get out of bed. Jesus moves towards them. So if you feel lost in pain or grief, if you feel stuck in an addiction or a sin, the good news of the gospel is Jesus comes to you. This is what he was doing on the cross. We needed him, sinners, his enemies, to die for us, but we weren't asking for that help. 
He came to us while we were still enemies and sinners and said, I'm coming to you here to help you, to take your sin, give you my life. So Jesus does three movements, three movements of compassion here. First, he sees her. Then he feels compassion. Then he acts towards her in love. He sees her. Jesus is attentive. This is a rowdy morning funeral procession. And he slows down to take in the scene. And he sees a woman walking by the casket, weeping her eyes out. He sees her in the crowd. And he sees her story at a glance. He sees there's no husband there. There's no other adult kids around her. He's kind of putting the pieces together. Jesus doesn't just see a sea of people. He sees individuals with names, histories, stories. And the one who is seeing her is the Lord. Look at verse 13. This is the first time Luke calls Jesus the Lord, identifying him with the Lord of Israel, the God, the maker of heaven and earth. And so it's the king of all creation who sees this woman in this tiny town, this widow of Nain. Do you know that Jesus sees you? And if you know, if you would have passed that on like a theology test, do you believe that Jesus sees you? Like would you wake up tomorrow morning groggy-eyed, burdened by what you have to do with the day, Jesus sees you? When maybe tonight you can't sleep because of anxiety or depression, or you have no idea why you can't sleep, maybe it was the coffee you drank at 8 p.m., and you're just tossing it and turning and going out of your mind, Jesus sees you. So Jesus sees this woman at her lowest, and then he feels. Remember that Greek word, I'm not going to try to say it again, but he feels this woman's pain in his guts. Her tears become his. Her sadness becomes his sadness. And this is the comfort of the incarnation that God, God the Son, came down to be with us and to feel with us. He's fully God and fully man. He wrote himself into our stories and not just the happy ones. Jesus writes himself into our saddest stories and he feels what we feel. Jesus knows suffering. Jesus knows your suffering. And hear this. Your pain pains the resurrected King Jesus right now. Whatever pains you, his people, whatever saddens you, angers you, frustrates you, depresses you, frustrates, angers, depresses, in a sense, the King of glory, Jesus Christ. Here's where I get that. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. So let's hold fast to our confession. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses or our sorrows, but one who has been tempted and tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. Your king, the resurrected King Jesus, feels your pain now. So he sees this woman. He feels compassion for her. And then he acts toward her. True compassion doesn't stop with feeling, but it moves to action. He walks up to her gently because it says he has compassion. He says, don't weep. I probably will never say that at a funeral, but this is the king of kings. Don't weep. 
And the reason he says that is he's about to raise this boy to life. He tells the woman gently not to weep. He walks up. He tells the pallbearers, the people who are carrying the casket, stop. And then Jesus does the unthinkable. He looks at a dead person, a dead man. And he says, I say to you, young man, get up. And the dead son obeys. The dead man obeys, sits up, and starts talking. Jesus raises him from the dead. This is kind of a little appetizer. This is the croissant to our croissant for Easter. This is the appetizer of Jesus raising the dead. And then he not only resurrects or raises the son, he brings the son to his mother. He's the resurrector and the restorer of all things. You could just see him almost tenderly bringing this young boy or this young man out of the casket by hand and joining his hand to his mother's hand. Hope is revived. This woman has a future. So Jesus, in his compassion, he sees us, he acts, or he sees, feels, and acts towards us. And this is actually a pattern in the Gospel of Luke that we'll see here in a moment. Jesus is setting a pattern for compassion. Let's pull up Luke 10. This is the familiar story of the Good Samaritan. But it says, But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and the him being a robbed half-dead man on the side of the road. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. And he went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. So he saw the man in need, had compassion, and went. Let's pull up the next passage. Another familiar passage of the prodigal son. So he, this is the younger son who spent all of his dad's money, he got up and went to his father. While the son was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion. And this old man, he ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Uh, Author and speaker Paul Miller calls this the three steps or three acts of love. We see we feel, we act. And Jesus is the king of compassion and we as his servants in his kingdom are called to imitate him. In Colossians 3.12 it says, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly beloved, put on compassion. So we're supposed to put on this compassion that sees people. Compassion starts with seeing, to be attentive to people. To have people feel that they're known and loved, to ask good questions. Then it moves into feeling with them. And then it completes itself in action. Since those two passages in Luke, we're going to hit those as we journey through Luke. We're not going to get too deep into compassion today because we're going to circle back. Um, I just want to ask a couple questions when it comes to us showing compassion to others. What are some of the biggest challenges you have in showing compassion? Maybe you could talk about that in your CGs. What are some of the biggest challenges you personally have to showing compassion. Don mentioned one. We're just overwhelmed with social media and global and national news coming to us in record time. Uh, it's hard when you wake up with your own problems and then you hear the problems of your roommate or your family and then you go to work and you hear co-workers' problems and then you get a text or you see in the news about a shooting or a national tragedy and then later that day you hear about storms ripping through your country. We get compassion fatigue. So that's one reason it's hard to show compassion. But also busyness. 
Busyness kills our seeing and our feeling. We go from one errand to another without looking people in the eye. So these are some challenges we have to compassion. Another question to think about as we think about putting on compassion is how do we become more compassionate? If those are the challenges, how do we become more compassionate? First place is to pray. Jesus, give me your eyes. And then when we feel compassion fatigue, we take rest. We take a break with Jesus and say, Jesus, give me some of your compassion. Jesus has a never-ending well of compassion. He will never experience compassion fatigue, though we do often. So we pray. We also suffer. One of the biggest tools God uses in our lives to make us more compassionate is for us to suffer, go through suffering, and to receive his comfort, and then we turn around and comfort other people. As one Catholic writer put it, uh, the best healers are wounded healers. Wounded healers. Uh, For you young people in the room, uh, if you're in elementary school, middle school, high school, going into college age, um, one way you could shine as lights in your generation is to have a compassionate heart. And that starts with seeing people. If you want to be weird nowadays, if you're hanging out with your friends and you have phones out, put your phone down and look your friend in the eye and say, how are you doing? They're going to like, whoa, that's weird, dude. But you're going to shine as a light with your friends. So young people, just think about ways you can make your friends feel known and loved. One of the easiest ways to do that is to put your phone down or put whatever down. Just look at them and say, how are you doing today? Or however you would ask in a cool way that I'm not familiar with. (laughs) How's it going, bro? Whatever. So we'll, we'll circle back to compassion as we go through the Gospel of Luke. Uh, but we see that Jesus, he sees this grieving widow. He feels her pain. And then he goes forward with this miracle and raises this boy. So let's turn to the final point here. A growing hope. A growing hope in verses 16 and 17. Let's look at verse 15 quick. The dead man sat up, began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Then fear came over everyone, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. This report about him went throughout Judea and all the vicinity. All right, remember, Nain is a small town, okay? It probably doesn't have any stoplights. Uh, Maybe the gas station serves as the grocery store, the delicatessen, all that. Not much is happening. And this person is raised from the dead. Okay, They hadn't heard a fresh word. They haven't seen a miracle as a people for hundreds of years. And now they just saw a dead man rise. And they have fear. That might seem a little weird to us. Another synonym might be awe. This is kind of happy fear. The Psalms talk about rejoice with trembling in the presence of the king. This is rejoicing with trembling. It's not the kind of fear that makes you want to run away, like grizzly bear fear. Um, it's more like you stand shocked one moment, then you're jumping up and down, and you're super happy. Um, I just wonder, when was this last time you felt happy fear in God's presence? Maybe it's during March Madness. Uh, it had been a while for me experiencing happy fear. Until this Friday, God gave me this, and I hope it relates to the sermon, but I'm just excited to tell you. Uh, I was getting ready for work on Friday morning. I was getting, you know, my things together, and my wife yells, 
Elliot Moose. I ripped my phone off the cord. We're in Henniker and there's, you know, there's not a lot of moose walking through Henniker. So I bolt down and sure enough, there's this young moose walking in our condo meadow. Talk about happy fear. It's like, whoa, that's big. Jaw drop. Wait, wait, wait. Lock arms, dance, do the happy jump dance, you know? Some people do when they hit a buzzer beater or something. It was just a happy fear and awe. And I think, I think that's something of what they're experiencing. Not just a moose, which is a rare sighting this far south, but seeing a dead man rise and seeing someone they knew in a small town. Let's call him Bobby. They saw Bobby, so-and-so's son, just got raised from the dead. They're shocked. They're jumping. They're holding each other. This funeral procession really became a celebration of life as they're seeing that God has visited them. And they start praising God. Maybe they turn their lament songs into worship songs. And they're praising God. And they're saying, God has visited us. This is a fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. Let's pull up Luke 1, 78 to 79. This is Zechariah prophesying what God would do through Jesus. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high, So compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is God coming down, touching down into little Nain and giving compassion to this woman who is living in darkness in the shadow of her husband's death, in the fresh shadow of her son's death, without hope, without God, Jesus visits in that moment. They say he's a great prophet. He's like Elisha, remember, who miles away had raised up a widow, son. It's true. He's a prophet, but he's greater than a prophet. He's the Lord. He's the one who made this woman. He's the one who made this town. And he's come to visit this place and make all things new. Earlier, we talked about ways we could show compassion to one another. I want to talk a moment about what it looks like to receive comfort from God. So if you're grieving the loss of a dream or health, the loss of a loved one, and you're wrestling with all those emotions and those grief, um, here's some comfort for the grieving. I don't want to be too simplistic because many of you are thinking, that's great for the widow of Nain. My loved one wasn't resurrected at the funeral. I still wake up and they're not there in bed. They're not in my home. I can't pick up my phone and call them. Uh, So I don't want to give any simplistic answers, but I do want to give some hope that's found in Jesus. Jesus gives the grieving hope for the future and comfort for the uh, present. Our story, the story of the widow of Nain and the raising of her son, is a foretaste. It's a little appetizer of what Jesus is going to do for the whole world when he comes back. This isn't just a one-off thing. Earlier in Jesus' sermon, he says, Blessed are you who weep now, because you will laugh. You'll happy laugh. You'll be happy afraid in Jesus' presence. Uh, The widow's son got raised temporarily from the dead, but he would die again one day. He was in his same old body. But Jesus, when he resurrected, The scriptures say he had an indestructible body. And when he returns, he's going to give his people indestructible bodies to live with him forever. 
He'll not only resurrect all things, but he'll restore all things. And it's complicated and there's mystery there, but he's going to reconcile people to one another. It's going to be a great family reunion in his presence. Spouses restored to each other, friends, sons, daughters to their parents. So this is the hope for the grieving now. But Jesus also gives us comfort in the present. So if you're grieving, know this. Jesus has powerful compassion on you. When you can't get your loved one's face out of your imagination and you just sit there and cry and cry and cry, Jesus, the King of Kings, cries with you. He sees, he feels with you, and he acts and will act toward you in love. And maybe here's a question. How have you seen Jesus act towards you in love recently? How have you seen that? So we see Jesus' powerful compassion. He sees your pain. He feels your pain. He moves towards you in loving action. He's writing your little story in this big story where he's going to make all things new and your weeping will be turned to laughter. So he'll see you in your pain this week when you can't sleep, when you don't want to get out of bed. Even when you don't feel strength to seek him, he'll seek you out. He indeed is overflowing with powerful compassion towards you.